Hello, Robbie. Good morning, Ernie. Is it just you and me? Yeah, this is just, just us, yeah. This was a sort of a last minute spontaneous thing. I didn't have anything formally scheduled and I think Janet's usually busy on Saturday mornings, so I didn't wanna try to juggle too many things at once. I'm gonna right, try and right, do a regular right. meeting on eight AM on Wednesday to see if everyone can make that, oh, okay. but uh we will. And she was that. Did Janet say that might work for her? Or? Yeah, she said with advance notice. Apparently. Okay. I should yeah. exchange email with her uh, because uh, tech right. don't work as well for her. Great. Uh, how are you doing? Well, it's been a very uh, couple of days, um, and I'm doing quite well. And in fact, I woke up kind of thinking about love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, I think it's in place that uh, the one who loves uh, doesn't need law. And how all my life I've been trying to find formulas that would make life work better. And now I'm feeling like I don't, uh, I don't have any drive in that direction anymore. I'm just, uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm starting to believe how much actually God, God actually loves me, and that it's not mm. a matter of performance or circumstance. Circumstances don't. It's not the pain or you know frustration or things falling apart isn't a reflection not loving me or being unhappy with me or something. Um, so going back even to the garden, you know. Um, when they hid, it doesn't say God was angry with them. Uh, he, he comes and is looking for them. They're the ones that hid because of the shame. And, uh, Adam and Eve. Yep, yep, in the garden. And uh, so anyway, um, I today I had an interesting experience. I'm still running a 10-year-old MacBook. And... Uh, it appears that the the rate at which it charges is slowing down, or or maybe it's just the charger I'm using. But it shut off unexpectedly yesterday, and would I couldn't tell why. And in the past, that would have left me with a bit of internal panic. But uh, well, you know, Jesus, you uh, you know what you have, and uh, I love you, and you love me. And, so I had no no angst about it, uh, and wow. half an hour later I figured out it was just a just the charging problem, and it started you know it came back on, is working uh, at least for now. So able to back everything yeah. up off it, all that. <clears throat> yeah, that's a, it, there's a there's I don't even have a good word for this. Um, I I've clearly called it the lump, uh, uh -huh. this sort of internal angst, where it's like. Something like you assumed reality was a certain way, and suddenly something that you were counting on or that uh, you were assuming was a constant that you could build on turned out to be squishy or wrong or dangerous. And I, I just get this sort of lump in my chest, um, uh -huh. which I think is with that, that sort of internal angst you were talking about. Yeah, and, uh, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I I feel it as a, a lump. I feel it as a need to try and do something to tra take control and make things turn out right. Um, yeah, what's and, interesting uh, is uh, just just as a uh, interesting uh, data point, one of the things uh -huh. you learn in I think cognitive behavioral therapy is that your thoughts uh, tend to lie, your body tends to tell the truth. And so one of the practices I've been developing is trying to identify emotions by the physical sensations rather than the labels or thoughts that go with them. Anyway, yeah, interesting side that's note. Interesting. Continue. Yeah, one of the practices Jamie took us through, Jamie Winship, was identifying where in our body we were feeling stress and handing that over to the Lord. Yeah. I, I don't have that much, that experience so much of a particular physical manifestation but uh i certainly do this compulsive 
doing everything I can think of to try and make things work out. So another thing that happened yesterday, uh, you remember a month ago we had an unexpected reversal in court where yeah. we appears all to us and every, all of you know everybody we've asked to review it that all the favors in our all the evidence is in our favor, but yeah. the majority have uh, aligned themselves against us and the judge took the majority did a mm -hmm. summary judgment which he's not supposed to do if there's contested material fact but um, you know what he, he's got that freedom if not the legal yeah. authority to do what he did so uh, anyway yesterday we got the statement that we were supposed to work out between our two lawyers and again it was just full of um, material falsehood I mean the uh, things that the judge quoted so normally that would have pitched both jackie and me into uh you know aggressive hours and hours of trying to find a way to you know respond and uh we both experienced just a supernatural rest about you know uh talking with the lawyer and getting some idea of what he wanted and putting it together in half an hour but it was without the normal you know, uh, for me, it's worked out in activity. For Jackie, it is probably more of that physical stress at some point in the body. And we don't mm -hmm. know how it's going to work out, but <clears throat> we're at rest whether the case swings back our direction or it goes, continues against us, or they take money out of our account. You know, it was only money. And she's she's finally at peace in the same way. Wow. So that's that's wonderful for us to both be there. Yeah, that's really impressive. I mean, I think I keep going back to uh, Janet's definition of grace as the ability to do better next time. And, mm. you know, the idea mm -hmm. that when we have these setbacks and then we try to bring them to Jesus, then the next time we face something similar, uh, we are able to handle it more gracefully with less wasted effort and less internal yeah. strife. And it's funny, yeah. when you put it that way, I just realized that grace is in some ways the opposite of PTSD. Mm -hmm. PTSD is when you experience something traumatic and then you uh, react uh, not based on the immediate circumstances, but based on what happened last time. And uh, mm -hmm. it's funny, uh, we watched uh, episode five of season two of The Chosen last night. Uh -huh. And they left it on this really weird cliffhanger. Usually the episodes are pretty standalone or they're sort of progressing the plot. But here, right. uh, uh, Mary Magdalene, who has been delivered of seven demons or whatever, um, yep. encounters someone who's demon-possessed. And she encounters Roman soldiers. And she reacts in this really odd way, like she's being traumatized. And um, it's not quite clear what's going on with her. Uh, well, there's a scene where she encounters another Roman soldier and doesn't get traumatized. So it seems like she's made mm -hmm. some progress. She's actually in a really bizarre way wandering off without telling anyone what she's doing. And so even on this cliffhanger where you don't know whether she's actually doing something noble and Christ-like or backsliding right. into her own ways. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they just left it there, which is uh, an unusual hanging plot thread for them. So right. Was, yeah. Uh, and I think that's really the that was what I looked at her like when I when she first encountered the soldiers or the demoniac, uh, it seemed like uh, it was uh, PTSD. But now I'm starting mm -hmm. to like you know there's this progression there, and and I think what's interesting is that the first time was very clearly PTSD, and so it gave right. me this mindset that like okay she's in trouble. She is not able to handle herself. Someone needs to watch over her and tell her what to do so she doesn't do anything stupid or dangerous. But uh, then, uh -huh. you know, as she goes through the progression, like I start questioning, like, wait, is that, you know, is that still true? Was that even true in the first place? Uh, you uh -huh. know, we did talk about how she panicked and the first time, so she's self-aware of it. But this is the, right. um, uh, I guess, one of the things that I... Um, um, I guess technically slowly, slow to update my Bayesian probability priors uh, mm. to get geeky about it is that like I have a default assumption about how things are right. and when I see information that reinforces that I tend to get stuck there 
And therefore, when mm. new information comes along, I'm comfortable with the way I currently view things. And it takes um, conscious effort to let go of those comfortable assumptions. And one of those good. comfortable... Yeah, sorry. I was going to just say, it sounds like self-confirming bias. Is that the same thing or something yeah, different? Yeah. Well, let's start that. The confirmation bias is when I, is I filter out, right, yeah, I guess it's related. And that you filter out things that uh, don't agree with you and obsess over things that do. And as I told my son, once you've learned about confirmation bias, you see it everywhere. Right. Yeah. Which is itself a form of confirmation bias. Uh, so, the um, that actually uh, is a good segue to the thing that I've been thinking about this week, which is the idea of veils. So before um, we go to the new the new okay. thing, I just wanted to inject one yeah. more thought. Sure. Um, when when you talked about the lump and you know experiencing that tension or whatever, um, mm -hmm. when ja my daughter and I have been you know experimenting with loosely the DBJ format, last time yeah. we did that. We came up with the idea of starting off with the question of, is there something unsettling you uh, that we mm. should, you know, be aware of or pray about before we get started? Um, and I, I think it's, uh, I, I wonder whether that's um, worth working into somewhere formally or, I think we, we even talked about something similar. We just didn't have that specific question, I think. With DBJ, you know, is there something distracting you from the thing? Yeah, that I, think I, the, I, I think that's great for a, I mean, in some sense, that's how I come up with DBJ topics. It's only during the Great right. Reset. Uh, right. And, you know, and we did often during the Great Reset if something was done. And then what has to happen is then that ends up, if someone finds something deeply unsettling, that becomes the entire focus of the session. Oh, and right. yep. the reason we, we stopped doing that or it got, it was difficult to do that is that if one person is deeply troubled by something, uh -huh. then that becomes uh, the agenda. And it's hard to know whether that's appropriate or not. Uh -huh. and, even, yeah. and or more importantly, like everyone else comes in with what they're feeling. And if someone trumps it with something relatively minor, then we never get around to it. So it's difficult to do um, at scale. Right. Uh, if okay. you have a small type group, uh, where you know each other well enough that you can kind of uh, prioritize those things, then that's actually yeah. really good. Uh, but we can, I, you uh -huh. know, I, I kept wrestling with that because there's this tension between what expectations people come in with of what they're supposed uh -huh. to get versus yeah. what is the immediate pain that people are dealing with right now. And, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's almost like you need to have a... Uh, a uh, like a little uh -huh. entry room before the meeting where we can come in and if someone has something pressing then you have a space yeah. to find that out so that you can make a deliberate decision to eject the agenda in favor of this thing right. uh, rather than um, you know being in this really awkward space where no one's clear of the roles and responsibilities and expectations um, uh -huh. I mean I think what we have for is like if someone brings that up is to say, you know, hey, I think that's a really good point. How do people feel about us stopping the agenda and focusing on this instead? Uh, right. You know, so, which is so better. It group. has its own downsides, right? Because people feel, may not always feel free to speak up. And especially in the Great Reset, there's all these weird emotional baggages that we're carrying based on previous sessions and, and external interactions with people in the group that makes people not want to say certain things or anyway. So. Yeah. 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 You know, I. I stayed up way too late last night um, exploring. I just ran across something called Slido, which allows real-time interaction and polling. Yeah, I, I, I told you about it last week, at last, oh, okay. our last phone call. That's where I ran across it. I had just left it open <laughs> on my computer. So prepared to, but I was, I was thinking, you know, in a, a DBJ session, we could use that to record our questions to Jesus or uh, to, you know, pose something that doesn't isn't interruptive, but, uh, you know, gives the, the group. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to try experimenting with it anyway. Yeah, I, I, I love Slido. The main thing about Slido is that you are trying to rank order questions uh, for the panelist or presenter to answer. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Is the concept, of course, and we don't have that in the right. Uh, right. Like we don't need to rank order questions for Jesus to answer because <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he can speak to all of us in parallel. Uh, at the same time, yeah. it would be the, the 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 interesting thing to do actually um, uh, is um, uh, use it as maybe for the 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 um, almost like a uh, actually. Uh, uh, let me get to the punchline and then I'll go back to what I wanted to say about veils. So I wanted okay. to do a one-off DBJ session. Uh, I originally said the 27th. Now I'm looking at the 20th. Uh -huh. And uh, one interesting thing about that is just doing it as a one-off, but like using Slido perhaps as the poll at the end to say, hey, what would you like us to do? What would you be interested in doing next? Yeah. And that's the sort of thing where having a prioritized list of topics or questions or issues uh, with a rank ordering of them would be really powerful. Right. Yeah. Um, um, where there is a scarcity to give the group a authentic way to uh, prioritize uh, mm -hmm. uh, among them. Yeah. Anyway. Um, cool. Uh, can I go back to the veil thing? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I had we had a really uh, powerful Sunday at our church, and as in some of our best Sundays. The uh, um, we ha our church has my joke. My kids joke like there's like three sermons because we have a person who comes up to pray for the church. We we have a uh, an offering for a different ministry each week, and so someone uh -huh. comes and shares about that ministry, and then they pray for the offering. And then we have a, a corporate prayer time where someone is appointed to pray uh, to invite the church to pray about a specific topic, and they come up and share about what they're praying about or why they're praying about it, and then they pray. And, and then we have the sermon. And my kids joke, uh -huh. they get confused because they feel like there's like three sermons happening in the church. <laughs> right. uh, one right. about the offering, one about the prayer, and then one the actual sermon. And yep. uh, two cool things happened this, this Sunday. One is that the person who was sharing uh, had a thing that they had wanted to pray about, but when they got to church, they just felt the spirit leading them to pray about something different. Uh -huh. And that's always exciting to me when, when the Holy Spirit uh, rewrites the agenda. And it's even more yep. exciting when it happens in a – I'm always uh, happier about it when it, it comes in a way where the person who's rewriting the agenda was the person who was authorized to do something. And it's more uh -huh. awkward when someone else rewrites the agenda where the authority right. and the power don't, don't align. So uh, that was nice. But then uh, as when the pastor came to preach the sermon, he said, like, I almost feel like you know, that was the main sermon – uh, which was about praying for the impossible. And uh -huh. This is a lady who's from a Middle Eastern descent and who's just been traumatized by everything happening in the Middle East to the point where, like, it doesn't even occur to her to pray for it because it seems so impossible to pray about uh -huh. that situation. And she, mm. she prayed into that. And then, but in some ways, the sermon I felt like was a commentary on this very vulnerable uh, prayer that was being prayed uh -huh. earlier which is very much huh. what I've always, you know, I keep wanting to see, uh, what was it, our friend, was it Jesse, somebody who had to talk about how the, the church discipleship has been and the church has been uh, professionalized, intellectualized, sermonized, and individualized. Oh, yeah, Jesse Cruikshank. Cruikshank, uh -huh. yeah, uh, with an E, because uh, there's another celebrity with Jesse without the E, which causes confusion. Okay, my dog has had enough walking. I have to put him back in the car. Um, okay. So the uh, he's looking at the wrong car. Quinn, that is a Hyundai. Yeah. Our car is an Acura. I guess those are colorblind to two certain colors. And I wonder if that's right. harder for me to recognize our car. That is so weird. He remembers roughly where it is and perhaps roughly what it looks like, but he couldn't quite hear whether it's because circling the wrong car. Uh, huh. That's hilarious. Okay. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. So um, and so the. Uh, the sermon I thought was great, not because it was a great sermon, but because it was a great fit for this really hard question that we had prayed over earlier. What does it mean to uh -huh. trust God for the impossible? Right. And um, I was sharing with the, the lady who prayed earlier uh, where I, like, she has been struggling with a family member who's uh, not saved. Um, uh -huh. And... Um, like, I didn't really understand what she's coming from, but I, I got to the point where I realized, ah, okay, I think I know what you're feeling now, which is that there's this yeah. person you love very much. You owe so much to them. Right. And 
in many ways, they're a really good person. It's not like there's any like gross sin in their life that you can see is devastating them. But mm-hmm. you just, and you don't even like want to make them a Christian. You just want them to know the Jesus that you know, because uh-huh. Jesus is that good. Um, but it's yeah. like there's this veil in front of them where yeah. uh, no matter what you say or do, it just sort of bounces off. Right. And um, and when I share that, she goes, yes, that is exactly. And it's like you love you do anything for this person. Like outside of your family, there is nothing more valuable to you than this relationship. Um, right. But you just are stuck. And yep. uh, so uh, this idea of a veil, and I was thinking about veils even this morning because I, uh, it's been, uh, as of Monday, it's been officially two weeks since I got my vaccine shot. So I'm legally allowed to walk around in Santa Clara County without a breath mask. Um, uh-huh, but it right. feels weird. It feels almost naked. Right. <laughs> like I'm, uh, you know, it, it's a strange feeling to be unveiled that way after a year. Yeah. Right. Um, You've unveiled faces. Oops, are you still there? How long was I monologuing? <laughs> oh, when it, I thought you, maybe your power went out on your phone or something. So, yeah. I just, uh, what was the last thing you remember me saying? Um, well, you were talking about how weird it feels to uh, walk around without a mask. And I quoted, uh, and we with unveiled faces uh, revealing the glory of the Lord. That was it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I went on for quite a while talking about uh, Genesis 24. And oh. so, okay, I will summarize quickly. 
apologies for the, the long dead space. Oh, can you hear me now? Uh, yep, yep. I'll have to get into the practice of stopping my long sooner. So the sermon that the pastor preached was on Genesis 24 with Isaac, or actually Isaac's servant, going to meet Rebecca and find a bride uh-huh. for, for Isaac. And right. how the servant prayed for her to water the cam for someone to water the camels as proof that this was God's sign. Um, right. But the point I was making is that the veil that was set up in the temple was set up to sanctify something sacred and important. Uh-huh. And there were usually sacrifices made to consecrate that thing. And the veil uh-huh. was appropriate and necessary at that time. But only uh-huh. in Christ can a new covenant come that causes, as you point, you know, th- that veil to be torn apart. And I said, right. because of the sacrifices that were made to create that veil, it takes a greater sacrifice to remove the veil. Uh-huh. And I said, but, you know, a better way, maybe a word than sacrifice is the word gift. And okay. like the gift of the gold on the 10 camels. And I said, the good news uh-huh. is that you don't have to provide uh, the gold or the camels, but you do have to be willing to water the camels when they show up. Mm. And so mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, we can't make the sacrifice that Christ made uh, because he has already made that. But there is a thing we need to do, which is uncomfortable and dirty and smelly, uh, but it's necessary to welcome the one who's bringing the gift. Right. And the interesting thing is that I, uh, I realize is that is a choice. So very much this is where I was going to uh, uh, start talking to you again, uh, which is your story about Peter walking on water. Right. Uh, I've been th- thinking a lot about that. Right, is that everyone was told by Jesus to get into the boat and cross the lake, and that's a matter of yeah. obedience. Yeah. But only Peter uh, said, you know, Jesus, if this is you walking on the water, tell me to come out to you. Peter volunteered uh, right. for that. Uh, and that was a matter of, I um, guess, um, desire rather than obedience. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've been using that line a lot with people, uh, like in our church, I had someone that we've been praying about, who's been praying about the country, and I suggested to her, uh, you know, I had a word for her that was sort of troubling, and we've, she's been processing it the last few weeks, and uh-huh. I said, well, there's this book by Rick Joyner that I think really speaks into this area. It's called Becoming American uh, Revolution or the Second Civil War. I, I forget the title. Um, but I said, and like, all I'm telling you to do is to go... Uh, like, re- read this book, because I think it'll speak to you. And then, I don't know if he's right. Like, I disagree with the parts of it, but then again, it's possible he's right and I'm wrong. And so I'm not going to, yeah. uh, I don't yeah. feel competent to judge him, But it, and I'm still reading it through myself. But it says, uh-huh. the proper response is actually the one of Peter. Say, Lord, if this is you, tell me to step out on the water, and I will come to you. Yeah. And I think that's the best we can do, is to say, you know, Lord, I see this thing here. I can't judge it. It's beyond me. But if it's you, tell uh-huh. me and I will come, because I just want to yep. be where you are. And I think that that yeah. uh, is sort of the response. And, and one reason I have found why God takes a long time to answer certain prayers is because um, we have to really settle in our own hearts. How much do we really want this? Are we willing to uh-huh. step out on the water? Are we willing to uh, volunteer to water the stinky camels um, in order to... Um, see God's work be done. But I, I, I also makes me wonder, like, I wonder what Rebecca um, was thinking or feeling or heard, heard from God. Right. Know, just like I wonder uh, about Hannah, who's praying for a son, Samuel, and that when they got their answer, uh, you know, that, that, that they responded in a way. Like, you know, uh-huh. Rebecca responded by watering the camels, and Hannah responded by giving Samuel over to the care of Eli. Right. Um, you know, um, there's this preparation for response. Anyway, um, the uh, conversation we had on Wednesday um, was kind of sitting in me. It's like, okay, there's something here where there's this conflict within my family. And I realized I don't feel like I have the grace that they need from me. Because I certainly don't feel like I'm having the grace I need from them. Uh, uh-huh. But the fact that that offends me or irritates me is a sign that I like grace for them. And it's like, right. okay, this is something I need more of. And it's probably in my area of blind spots, so it's hard for me to see. And so I would love to do a DBJ on this. And I realized this okay. actually is a rather – because the, the, the interesting thing about this problem 
it's from people who seem to care too much. Uh-huh. It's like there's a lot of people who are stuck in apathy. A lot of people don't care, but like these people genuinely care, and they, right. they're putting themselves to a lot of effort and hassle to do something. But it just feels like it's backfiring. And I have been that right. person myself. And it's yeah. like you know, and and at a larger scale, I realize as we've been walking on this journey uh, with DBJ, we meet all these people right. who are working in different facets of this. And sometimes uh-huh. we get along great. And sometimes there's these brick walls we run into, these veils, uh-huh. uh, you know, which sometimes we're able to get past and sometimes not. And I think, you know, there's a grace here that I think the body of Christ is lacking. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I ran across this beautiful uh, military uh, metaphor called um, a casement or a casemate. Uh-huh. The idea it's like a, uh, we would call it like a pillbox. It's like a little small fortified building with uh, uh, slits for guns to poke out of, trying okay. to be impenetrable. And you'd also uh-huh. place these, uh, and one of the interesting things about it, you would place this actually outside the wall or, or in between uh-huh. walls. And the idea, the whole point of these casemates is they're meant to be overrun by the invaders uh-huh. so that they just go past them. But then once they're there, the people in the casemate can stick their head out and start shooting at them from behind and snipe at them and uh, right. you know, flank them. And I realized it occurred uh-huh. to me that I think Satan has casemates. Uh-huh. When we take territory for the kingdom of God, as all of us like to do who are in this sort of reformer mindset, you know, we want to claim, right. take, take victory, advance. And we feel uh-huh. like we're making success because we've taken over this territory. But Satan has planted a casemate uh, in uh-huh. our back, inside there that we've just sort of swarmed over. And then uh, after we are, you know, and when we're busy looking, facing forward, trying to assault the next wall, this casemate, the people in there can pop up behind us and just start sniping at us from a way yeah. we didn't exa- expect. And in fact, it'll feel like friendly fire. It'll be thought that this right. is our territory. And yeah. that image has uh, struck me very uh, forcefully a few times where it feels like, yeah, why are these things like in the church and in these godly relationships where these things just sort of flare up that just uh, seem to blindside us? Right. And so, so I think, okay, this is the grace that I need now, is the grace to find these casemates in my own soul. Uh, where mm-hmm. they're, they're, where I react out of fear or anger or pride rather than out of grace. And then it feels like something that the body of Christ could sure use is that when you have these people who are all passionate about taking the next hill and doing the next big thing for the kingdom of God, how do we have the grace to identify these casemates stuck there that are sabotaging our relationships, our marriages, our uh, effectiveness, and our unity as the body of Christ? Mm-hmm. So that's what I was thinking, okay, that's the grace I want now. Okay, I'd love to do a DBJ on that, but what passage uh, could we do with that? And the thing that came to me, I'm not sure why, was uh, James and John, as their mother actually, petitioning Jesus for James and John to sit on the right and the left hand of Jesus. Right. And I think the reason that that spoke to me was that... Um, it's like she is asking for a good thing. Like, mm-hmm. and uh, identify with James and John, both of them are like, you know, I would love to like help Jesus accomplish his task, right? right. Like, I am serious about this. I want to take authority and responsibility, make sure this gets done right. Um, I also have an Indian mother, so I, I identified with that part of it. And then right. um, the thing that, uh, so, that was, so, so that felt like that uh, emotionally spoke to me, even though intellectually I can't really line it up with what I was saying before. But there was this resonance uh-huh. there. And then it, that act by her created all this strife and confusion within the disciples because they were angry at uh-huh. James and John for pushing themselves forward. And then Jesus says a bunch of things about it, um, which right. I haven't really processed, but that's what I'm hoping to do in the DBJ session. But the funny thing is uh-huh. when I was looking this up is that I did not realize that Salome, who is the mother of James and John, appears two other times in the gospel. Uh-huh. And one is that uh, she appe- she appears in the cro- at the cross with the Mary, right. yeah. um, uh, as one of the few people who follow Jesus across. And that's always a very poignant thing for me because I always think of John, the beloved disciple, the only one who made it all the way to the cross. But of course, there right. are all these women too who did. And yeah. so it's like okay. Uh, and and then even more shockingly uh, was that she was one of the women who financially supported Jesus. Uh-huh. 
which makes her request both more, um, uh, more poignant, both because clearly she was seriously invested in the ministry of Jesus, but then also right. it gives a sense of like a quid pro quo. Is like, was she thinking that because she's a financial supporter that she has the right to kind of uh, tug Jesus' yeah. strings? You know, I mean, right. I wouldn't want to accuse her of that, but it's hard not to wonder, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but then the last thing is that she is also one of the women who follows Jesus all the way to the empty tomb and is there on Easter right. morning when they find the tomb empty, even though she right. doesn't get the revelation of Jesus that uh, Mary did. Um, right. And so it's like, wow, there's, some, there's something there. Because all these themes about family and power and authority and rivalry and financial incentives and the cross and the empty tomb, it's like, okay, there's something there that I would really love right. to dig in with. And it occurred to me that this would actually be a really good, we could do this as a one-off. These are sort of you know, two really short passages and one medium-sized one, about eight verses. Right. Verses, and okay. it's like you know, I think we could do a really good one-off DBJ just on those uh, little narratives, and uh-huh. it's actually the perfect topic for all these people in ministry that you know, who are uh-huh. you know leaders, reformers, uh, and really trying to push forward the kingdom of God. Because this is precisely the grace that I lack that makes it hard for me to talk to them. <laughs> uh huh. Right. Because that's where I start feeling lumpy. It's like oh, they're they're all stuck on there thing and i don't have the grace to be gracious and and serve them and helping them move forward uh, i'm too right. busy being angry and frustrated that they don't want to see things the way i do because and they probably may feel about the same thing so anyway um so my um thought was to do an actual honest to god paid dbj session of a single you know event make it maybe two more like two two and a half hours so we have time for an introduction you know, to the basic concepts of DBJ and, oh, uh-huh. you know, time to make it and, and for, you know, several slightly longer passages. And right. uh, then, uh, and I'm thinking about June 20th, which is kind of uh, the one weekend I have free between now and July 4th. Ah. And I'm wondering, uh, sorry, I, think, I think I sent you an email about some of this and I wanted to get your thoughts and reactions. Yeah. Well, um... Uh, the short is, I don't think I have anything scheduled then. Uh, oh, it's Father's Day, June 20th. Um, the, the Sunday, yeah. technically Sunday is Father's Day. So it'll be the Saturday so before we'll, that. So I guess that might be, that would be the 19th then. Okay, you're talking about Saturday the 19th. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I probably misquote that. 19th. All right. So, um, yeah, technically I'm open then. And, uh, we subject to unplanned things that may develop with the family. We've been talking about trying to get away and uh, various larger scale things that might disrupt more than just uh, my availability on Saturday evening. But uh, I think it looks like that's a good, good possibility for me. Yeah, and I would probably do Saturday morning. That tends to be, uh, okay. in my experience, both personally and also in terms of when I see events scheduled like this because that way people right. sort of can get up and do that first thing in the morning and then they have the rest of the day to hang out with their family and go out to dinner yeah yeah sure I didn't so it'd be like 9 to eleven thirty a.m on saturday the 19th yeah. so and uh that was the first thing second thing is the thinking about in terms of pricing well, and structure um, well before before, you before we leave that go ahead oh well before we leave that i would just say you know i think uh things have changed in our household to where it's possible that uh, my wife might be interested in joining me or even uh, two of my daughters that are uh, starting to do more of the CBJ kind of stuff with me. So uh, uh, I'm I'm excited to be at a place where that's also a possibility. Yeah, uh, me too, actually. And so that's actually the second point I wanted to make is that you had talked before about having this idea of a two for one thing. And so I had a thought. Uh, where uh-huh. we explicitly set it up so that each ticket, and I was going to have a list price of $10, is okay. good for you and a guest. So we add ah. the field there so that you can register, and then you have a field for you know guest name, guest phone, guest email. And so yeah. uh, it encourages people to, to, so every ticket comes with one more uh, person. And then the second thing I was thinking is that 
you know, I really like the number seven, as you may have noticed. Um, right. And so I was thinking of charging $7, but I said, well, but that's give people a discount, but it's really hard to get a discount off of $7 because it's already so cheap. I said, oh, let's just make the list price $10. So some random person sees it on the website, they can pay in at $10. But everyone else, we say, you know, here, here's a coupon code because you're a friend of mine or because you've been part of this in the past, and thus you get it for $7. And, yeah. you know, if I figure right. if I get, um, and then the last thing I was thinking is because of that, um, and I was thinking, like, oh, we've had some experience. How many do I think I can comfortably handle? I, I said, you know, uh-huh. um, I think we could handle, because we, you know, the way we did it on Thursday nights where we break into subgroups and pairs, um, you know, that allows us to scale a bit better because there aren't that many places where people are sharing all the way around. I think, you know, it might be possible for, for us to handle 20 some people if we have, okay. you know, more time, like two and a half hours. And so I said, okay, let's make it. In, so originally we had 11 uh, tickets. Event. I think, you know, right. if I want to have like me, you, Janet, Brent, that's 44 people, that's half the thing. It's like, okay, let's have like three, like three staff and then 11 attendees to make it 14 tickets total. Uh, uh-huh. And then each of those can be double. So it'll be somewhere between 14 and 28 people uh, okay. be signing up. And, yeah. you know, if it turns out that we actually hit the 14 limit and not all of them take a guess, then maybe we can do that. Or, you know, so it's not like we're going to try and advertise this widely in order to. Uh, get a ton of people to show up, but oh, let's try it with this size as a one-off and see if it works. And, right. you know, it's a lot of interest. We can always schedule another session uh, yep. easily enough. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the structure and format I was thinking. So I wanted to see if that was possible. So I think the first thing to do is uh, for you to kind of just take some time praying about it and see if, you know, you feel the Lord putting a check in your spirit for whatever reason. And then check with your family about your travel plans. So I hate to go down this road and then you decide, oops, we're leaving on the 15th for two weeks. And so this isn't a good time. Because I, I would definitely like to have you and your family be a part of this. And if this time doesn't work out for you uh, and you think you can decide soon, it'd be good to know that. Okay. Yeah. I'll uh, check with those two, them today. I've already been praying about it since we had it in the thing. I uh, feel quite open to uh doing it unless something else would intervene. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and that's also like if, you're, if, you're, you know, if your wife feels like, you know, yeah, that doesn't conflict with where she wants to go on vacation. Because, uh, right. you know, yeah. uh, my family, that is a, a, a high value for my wife is that I am uh, fully engaged with the family at times when I need to be engaged with the family and that she is free to play. Right. So she was the, one, she was the reason who pushed me to do it on the 27th and the 27th because, or the 19th rather than the 26th is because She's working on the 26th, and she doesn't want me to disappear for three hours when I'm the only adult in the house. Um, yeah, okay. Anyway, and then so I'll um, and so I was thinking, so if we're going for the uh, 19th, then it'd be good to get tickets out like two weeks in advance, which would be June 4th, which is like uh-huh. or, uh, the numbers may be off somewhere. I may be losing a day. I'll check the calendar. But anyway, which is like in a week. Right. So yep. I want to, uh, and I figure what we probably do is we send it out sort of in tiers, like the first year to the people that we, you know, uh, I think really honestly to the, the DBJ list uh, for those who were part okay. of the previous session, because I feel like they should have dibs. Um, I don't right. think everyone's going to uh, come from that, but I want to at least speak that yeah. to them. And then we can, I, I think you have a list of people. Oh, the other thing is, I remember you sent the uh, invite to Dave and Jane Rump. Who I knew from the 120 Fellowship back in my yeah, yeah. Caltech yeah. days. Um, but the other thing is, there was a, a music, there was a, I had a dream <laughs> about oh. a guy named Tom Denbo. And I'm not sure, but I have a strong feeling that that person was also part of 120 Fellowship in our small group. So I don't huh. know why okay. that name popped up after 30 years or yeah. whatever. Um, but I think we should, I definitely would want to invite Dave and Jane Rump and see if they remember a Tom Denbo. <laughs> yeah, okay. Do you have that contact information? You want me to send it to you, or what? Uh... Oh, the rumps. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saved that email from last time. And so, anyway. Oh, okay. uh, so the idea is that, uh, yeah. So maybe I guess by Wednesday. So obviously, let me know today uh, after you've talked and prayed about it, or whether you want to have right. go yeah. ahead. And then I will yeah. try and put together uh, the blog post and the um, evite, or maybe the evite first, and then the blog post. Um, I'll right. say this just to get myself on the hook for it. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, uh-huh. but I would love to take some of the choice quotes from last, uh, the last session. I think actually, especially the first 
uh, day's feedback actually was actually more interesting than the last day's feedback. The way people uh -huh. spontaneously reacted to just one session of DBJ, uh, there were some wonderful lines, and I think I recorded okay. them. And I was thinking if I could get the effort to push that into a, um, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, a, a trailer video. That would right, be right. Uh, cool. So anyway, that's what I'm thinking. And yeah, whew, thank you. Hey, yes, uh, it's good to have this time to catch up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when we were doing DBJ, one of the difficulties was if you were recording, if you, somebody said something that needed to be out, uh, it wasn't simple for you. It wasn't simple enough for you to clip something that wasn't at the beginning or the end. And uh, since since then, I've run across a tool called Loom. I don't know if you've run across it, but yes. it's designed to... Uh, I'm familiar with Loom. So I've, they yeah. have, if you haven't seen the, the clip editing thing, uh, I started using it because it's got a really good transcript generator, um, which will even take out all the ums and uhs and uh, you know things like that. But the clip editor is the simplest I've ever seen to use, and you can drop things out of the middle. Uh, I hope this becomes standard editing pattern for um, all kinds of other places. But uh, you might check into that if you hadn't seen that before. Yeah, I mean, the, the main the reason, though, what the, the, I mean, the main reason why with the YouTube editor is because it is an order of magnitude simpler to just stream it live into YouTube and then edit it in YouTube to post it. Whereas if I have to download it to my computer and then right, okay. edit it and then upload it, that is a vastly more complicated workflow. And so I don't know, I don't, I'm pretty sure there isn't a stream direct from Zoom to Loom yet. Um, uh -huh. so there might be in the near future. Um, yeah. It's probably worth checking. There is Zoom apps now. And so that would actually be something worth experimenting with maybe after we get the invites out is what are the current best practices for doing uh, Zoom calls in groups? Because they have all these fancy backgrounds and slides and uh, other right, app yeah. things, which I haven't played with. Like, you know, like one of the things I think you can do now is you can put your slides in the background while you're talking, uh, which was kind I've of a weird hack at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I have to look for that. I've been playing with Prezi last night as well, which also offers that uh, slides in the background. And I'm thinking about starting to um, do updates for people to, you know, my prayer base using something like that, where I've got a, a I'm able to talk into a video instead of uh, writing. Because while I'm very comfortable writing, uh, even just yeah. interacting with my family keeps impressing on me that, yeah, that's not uh, communicating. <laughs> so. Yeah, so especially if you can find a way to get your message down to under three minutes. Like if the uh -huh. video is under three minutes, I'm going to I'll consider watching it right away when it comes across my feed. Otherwise, right. I have to like save it and plan the schedule later. And so, yeah, if that also yep. coincides with you becoming more concise, that would be uh, impressive right. and yeah, yeah, possibly impactful. I was in a <sighs> uh, pair of meetings this last Wednesday and Friday with uh, basically the top researchers in the world of uh, mission strategy on the question of changing the way we count and present people groups around the world mm. and uh, it's stirred some further thoughts and i mean i could go into them for a couple of minutes if you had more time but i'm uh, that's part of what's gotten me interested in trying to find a better way to communicate the revelations that i feel like i'm having uh, I put together a page which and went over with some of my family last night. I said, "Oh, still too much information, too dense. We need a story, not a not statistics." And, so. Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah, at the point because I think I, you know, the the way that I process my insights and epiphanies is I try to find someone else who cares about this, like you right. about this, and that where there's some, uh, and then well, actually, the goal. Is I don't I've given up trying to explain my epiphanies to people. Uh -huh. Is that for the most part they're interesting to me because of the intellectual context I was in when I had that epiphany. And if someone uh, is not uh, like wrestling with those deep emotional does not have a deep emotional attachment to those questions, the answers right. are useless or meaningless, and occasionally uh -huh. even uh, dangerous and counterproductive. Like for example, uh, the insight that like we don't need the law, we need relationships 
and, and love. Right. It's like, okay, uh, that's a good thing. But if I said that in the wrong context to my 13-year-old son, right. yeah, <laughs> it would come yeah. across as either dangerous or inconsistent. Right. Yeah. Right? You know, and so you have to, so the, all these things have a context where they are valuable and useful. And that's why I'm, I'm right. really, um, um, you know, like I said, I, don't, I really don't really have a desire to teach of like get people in a room and give them a bunch of facts and insights and even sermons. I was like, well, so I'm right. more thinking about so what's the what's the what's the experience I had here that made this meaningful, and how can I create? Can I use those insights to create an experience for other people to get something similar or equivalent? Right. So like with DBJ, you know, we, you and I, I think had a a very analogous experience as people who hosted the session and i think other people had very positive experiences but they weren't really at the same level because i think right. the we were going through the questions we were asking the, the challenges we faced the burdens we bear we had to bear were right. um um different and again you got something that was equally powerful but very different than what i got out of hosting dbj right yeah so, so, like, if I had gone to the sessions, okay, my goal is to make sure that uh, uh, Robbie learns the same things that I learned from this, or I thought I was going to learn from this, I would have been, and occasionally was, frankly, frustrated. And then I'd remind myself, huh? wait, no, that's not the point. The point is not to replicate what I learned. The point right. is to uh, create a context where other people can encounter Jesus at what, wherever they are at and whatever uh, they're able to handle based on how much they're willing to put in. Right. And so uh, I know it's a very um, different way of looking at information and transformation. Uh, but that's it's worth, and you know, and I don't, again, I don't want to place my paradigm that I'm working on on you uh, to right. say that you should be doing this, but it's at least something to consider is that if the communicating information is not getting the results you're looking for, maybe it's worth at least considering uh, how can you create experiences or uh, and in particular, my favorite thing is if I can set up circumstances where I get to uh, manifest my learning rather than talk about it. Right. And uh, yeah, that's actually something I can ask your prayer for. I'm, I'm going to, my, my plan today is to go out drinking with my brother-in-law for lunch. Uh, uh -huh. And uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I have some things I'd like to talk about, including uh, Joanna had talked about the idea of a DBJ for Hindu friends who can't stand Christianity, but don't have a problem right. with Jesus. And my yeah. brother-in-law, I think, is probably in a similar boat. Is I don't think he has a lot of problems with Jesus, but he has a huge amount of problems with Christianity. And, right. uh, and, and uh, my wife was saying, well, don't preach to him. It's like, I don't want to preach to him. I want him to preach to me. <laughs> like, yeah, I really right. want to be in a context where he feels free to tell me what he thinks, what he likes and dislikes. And... Uh -huh. um, and also, it just used to go drink beer, which I don't get very often. So, uh, uh -huh. there, 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 in some ways, there's this odd truth that when I do something, that there's a certain kind of selfishness, which is easier for people to deal with than a certain kind of altruism, right? If like I'm getting together with you because I want to fix you or because I want to help you or I'm having pity on you, that framing uh -huh. is, can, you know, uh, be very toxic. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's like, you know, hey, I would like to hang out with you because there's something I want to get out of this. And I'm open right. to like helping you and blessing you. Uh, but yeah. uh, my success is me really just trying to uh, deal with my own need and vulnerability. Um, right. And hoping that that will um, take us someplace different. Uh huh. Yeah. This is part of the, I mean, it, it sounds to me parallel to the shift. In our family, you talked earlier about the difficulty of passionate people, um, where they care too much, and they're trying. And that prompted me immediately to think of the difference in our relationship with our daughter from when she lived with us before, and uh, we were so intent on trying to help her become who she's supposed to be that. Uh, at least it appears to me, we drove her out of the house because she couldn't uh, stand the you know, constant uh, efforts to improve her. And uh, she's come back into a, a place and time where Jackie and I have uh, 
realize or are experiencing that uh, Jesus is much better able to determine and to, um, you know, bring about what change is needed and, and bring it about. And that we can simply uh, be ourselves, but not be um, focused on fixing others. And uh, at least that, that mental shift for me has made a huge difference with Jackie and Dana's uh, come back into this where, um, you know, it's just a, she's actually now staying with us for the next week while we do some work with her on improving the motorhome. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Exactly. And yeah, I think the, uh, I've been realizing myself that the thing that I really want most is to be seen. Uh-huh. For people to see me as I am, uh, not through the lens of how do they fix me. Right. Because, yeah. uh, and so then, um, that, I mean, that's not the, oh, it's like that, that song you shared last time. That's not the end, but it has to start right. there. Right. Right. Is, and then, yeah. you know, there has to be a, a, a place where like, first you see me, uh, there was a, uh, GK Chesterton novel where this man uh-huh. had just got out of prison and this philanthropist saw him and like plucked him out of a lineup and made him his personal secretary where he'd served for 20 years. And at uh-huh. the end, spoiler alert, uh, the private secretary kills the philanthropist. He uh-huh. says, uh, for the, he said, why would he do that? For the crime of understanding him in a glance. Uh-huh. It's, like, uh-huh. it's like, it's not fair for you to think you know everything you need to know about me in one, even if you know most of what you need to know. Right. Like to, to, to be locked into that identity is, uh, infantilizing, I think is the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hate that when it happens to us, but it's so hard to keep from doing that because it's easier to help people by infantilizing them than by incarnating uh-huh. into their pain. Yeah. And like, it's like it, it, the, the, the motto, it's not about doing it right, it's about doing it. Right. Hey, let's just make sure we're together. And then right. from that position of identity, it's like, hey, uh, I'm seeing some things here, uh, you know, what do you think? And, you know, what grace do we need so we can get better as a system rather than, oh, yeah. I've already got this grace, so I know the answer. Let me tell you what you need to do to become like me. Right. Yeah. You know, which, which, again, when you're dealing with a literal infant, there's a place for that. Uh, the problem is that it can become addictive. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, can you pray? Since I cut off last time. Sure. Yeah, sure. Jesus, we thank you that uh, you love us more than we can imagine. That uh, you are um, fully aware and fully able to control everything to uh, cause things to everything to work together for our good, and that uh, you delight in uh, us trusting you and listening to you, following you. Um, so we we ask that you would bring more of that into our hearts and lives, that the, uh, the lump or the uh, anxiety or whatever we might call it that uh, prompts us at times to take matters into our own hands or to uh, detach in unhealthy ways, that uh, we'd be able to uh, depart from that or abject from that and uh, focus uh in on being you incarnating you and and letting your love flow through us uh particularly to those in our relationships that we most care about in our household and our uh family and community but uh even to the enemy uh whoever that might be whatever that represents in our lives thanks for this friendship with ernie and this technology that enables us to connect and most of all for your spirit at work in our lives and hearts and circumstances. We lift before you this uh, uh, sense Ernie has of leading in the DBJ episode around Salome. And we uh, thank you for the logistics that uh, you've uh, sensed clarity about. And we ask that you'll work this together in uh, the way you desire to uh, continue to unfold the the steps, the, the good works you've prepared in advance for us. Uh, give us wisdom and grace in loving our families with your love and uh, revealing your glory uh, with unveiled faces in that context. 
We pray these things, Jesus, uh, out of your great heart at work in us. Amen. Amen. Ah, God bless you, Robbie. Right. Thanks so much. It is wonderful to not be alone and have a co-founder to uh, struggle through this with. I'm excited. Yeah, well, this is, uh, I think it's this relationship with you that's uh, really um, stimulated the much of the positive change I've experienced. So I'm very grateful as well. Bless you, man. I think it's the three-way relationship between me, you, and Jesus. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's it. That's what it does, yeah. That's the key. All right. Yeah. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Bye.